Live from across America, heard around the globe, and recorded for posterity. It's the Gay BC Happy Hour with Richie Roy, Chick Maxson, and Johnny Mac. Give me more of what I really need. Cause there is no cock like horse cock. Send your asshole into shock. You need horse cock, of course cock. Grab the loop and slam the day away. Here's Richie Roy. Hello, and welcome to the happy hour. <laughs> uh, hope everyone's having a great day so far. Uh, we are we are here today with a very special guest from a very special location. Um, and uh, it's fitting as we're sort of coming on the end of uh, Pride Month, although not Pride season, that we are here with our friend, Jordi Massive, who is in Lima, Peru. Hey, Jordy. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. How Can are you? Can you hear me? Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, I am I am in Peru. Um, it's been incredible. It has been so great. So I it, I, I, I recall that it took a little bit of uh, a little bit of doing to get you down there. Um, that seemed like the, the travel was a little bit arduous, but um, you made oh it down there finally. <laughs> oh my God, you have no idea. Um, 12 hours in an airport um, trying to get to <laughs> Fort Lauderdale. Then um, when I got to Fort Lauderdale, I had about a day to kind of relax from that. And then um, boarded a flight um, on, um, what is it, LATAM, um, mm-hmm. and uh, got on the plane, and there was a screaming baby next to us <laughs> the entire way. Not a screaming and, baby. Um, me, me, and, uh, me and my buddy Latin Relax um, did not get any sleep, so we were very tired. Um, luckily, <laughs> um, the, the hosts that we have... Um, here in Peru, um, they they have a bathhouse here, and um, they let us take a nap on one of the one of the day beds. <laughs> <laughs> so we got some sleep, yeah. But it was a lot. Nice, yeah, it's been a lot of time. Yeah. And so, um, so what's the vibe down there so far for Pride? Um, people are getting decorated. Um, you know, people are pretty excited. Um, you know, this is the second largest pride in South America. Um, mm. They're expecting about 100,000 people um, wow. at this pride, uh, which is Sunday. And the parade lasts from uh, 1 o'clock to 10 p.m. Just wow. so that folks know, um, because... As you just mentioned, it's on Sunday, and of course we're broadcasting on Sunday. Uh, we're pre-recording this conversation with Jordy uh, a couple of days early uh, so that he could be participating in the events that take place at Pride there in Lima, Peru. Right. And so, uh, yeah, so, what, so what's uh, upcoming for you in the next, uh, in the next couple of days down there? Um, well, tonight is my show at um, at Asias Men's Spa. So mm-hmm. I'm doing the show tonight. And then um, what's on the schedule for tomorrow? Let's see. Um, I don't think anything so much for tomorrow. I think we have a brunch or something to do. Um, it would be pride is the big thing. Or maybe, 
yeah, pride. Pride is the big thing that I have to do. So is there um, like a week long of activities going on leading up to it? Or is it just all something that no. primarily culminates uh, with the uh, event of a parade and such on Sunday? Yeah, it's just that it's just the parade. What's the community like there? Are there a lot of clubs and, and other LGBTQ businesses? Very, very few clubs. Very few bars. Um, the gays here are shy. Um, one, in being gay. And then also just like in in total. Um, very kind of very shy. Um, I did a few interviews the other day just asking some people um, what Pride meant to them and what, what they were excited for. Um, there was one guy that said that um, he had never been to a Pride and he really is just looking forward to having fun and taking his shirt off. There was another gentleman that I talked to um, that said this was his first year being acknowledged for Pride, so he's, he's a part of the parade and um, he's fighting for equality. Um, they use a lot of labels here. Um, there, there is, um, you know, there's disrespect and some aggression, um, towards gay people here. Um, you know, people here still, um, you know, are pretty closeted. There was even one gentleman that I was talking to and he was, he came out to his family in his like late teens or twenties and is marrying a woman from Venezuela. Wow. Um, for, for for her to have papers in Peru. Um, but he wants kids and he's getting pressure from his family to have kids. Um, right. so there's a lot there's a lot happening here, um, like under the surface. Do you, you know Do you um, feel like it's a safe place for LGBTQ people to travel to? Um I mean I have I felt very safe. Um I've I've not had an any issue. Um, everybody's very friendly. Um, you know, no, I think, I think, it, I think if it, you I... are smart about it, you know what I mean? Like yeah. where I'm right. at is a very good area called Miraflores. Um, very pretty neighborhood. Um, you know, you can do some sightseeing, um, go with a guide. I, there was a really great guide that took me all over the city yesterday. Um, yeah. Well, and I, I think it really underscores, um, you know, that pride is meaningful in, in different ways in different places, you know, because, you know, in a place like, you know, New York or Los Angeles or, you know, Fort Lauderdale or whatever, you know, pride is kind of like, uh, you know, a, a recognition of just kind of like, oh, we're all we're all cool. Um, but, you know, it, it has a different valence, you know, in a place where it's there isn't as much acceptance so far. So I think that's really cool that you're getting to kind of be part of that, you know, sort of uh, on the ground level kind of, you know, uh, representation. Oh, absolutely. And um, there's even a lot of like, um, to be macho, they say macho a lot, you know, mm. um, not feminine, not feminine. Um, you know, uh, being a top is, is more common here. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, like they're, they're, you know, kind of afraid to be submissive as well. Um, that's a thing as well. Um, yeah. 
So, you know, we've talked on the show a lot about flags. Um, is the is the pride flag, like the rainbow flag, is that kind of a common symbol there? Or are there different symbols that they use for gay pride? Or Yes, but there's also the Cusco flag is actually very similar to the pride flag. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to, <laughs> you kind of have to know which flag you're looking at. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, it's kind of funny how that's the case. Um, but yeah, um, you know, you don't really see it out. Um, I haven't mm -hmm. seen any really on the street or anything like that. Like I went to one really big nightclub, like it was huge. Um, there was no flags there. Um, it was kind of a mixed club. Um, like you'd see, you know, boyfriends were holding hands and kissing and dancing together. Um, straight people were together, um, but you, you really didn't, you don't really see too many, like, gay clubs. I went to one little gay bar that was just around the corner from my place. Um, there's I, I, the sauna that I'm, I'm at, um, that is a, uh, a really nice one. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's, it's kind of like, you know, you don't really see a lot of representation, but it's definitely mm -hmm. alive and well here. Beyond just the LGBTQ stuff, uh, it's a destination that you've traveled to for the first time, right? See, yeah. So is there other things that you are really looking forward to taking advantage of while you're there uh, in Peru? Uh, some places that you want to see or things that w you want to make sure you check off your uh, bucket list? Yeah, I'm on. Uh excuse me, um, I am um, going to be here for a couple more days, and then um, I go to Cusco, um, and I'm going to do Machu Picchu, which is um, going to be a bucket list item for me. That's um, awesome. Oh, yeah, for very sure. Excited, very excited about that. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah, and, and I have to ask, you know, um, as someone who's very food-focused, <laughs> how has the food been so far? <laughs> <laughs> oh baby, you would just love it here. <laughs> well, I can you would love I, I can personally here. attest to knowing that that Jordy Massive is a um, purveyor of fine Peruvian food. He's done that here in Palm Springs too, and uh, so how is it in the native land? Oh my God! Um, so, fun fact about Peru is they have like over four thousand types of potatoes here. Whoa. Wow. That's a lot of different types of potatoes. Um, they're very common. Some very common dishes that you would eat here is uh, ceviche, um, aji de gallina, uh, lomo saltaldo, pollo saltaldo. Um, everything has just been incredible. Um, they have a, uh, they have a kind of, it's like a wine or like a, yeah, I'd call it a wine, but it's made of blue corn. Um, hmm, interesting. Beer, beer. Um, you know they're very they're very popular for the pisco. Pisco is yeah, very pisco, popular. Yeah, pisco. That's I right. Drink. Yeah, yeah. Last night I was drinking. Um, it's called a chocano, chocano, Cho chocano or something like that. Um, mm. <laughs> delicious pisco drinks. Um, really, really nice. Uh, but yeah, the food here has just been phenomenal, and they even have Peruvian mixed with Chinese here oh interesting yeah it's an yes. interesting because there's a lot of like sort of cross-cultural 
uh, cuisines. I mean, Loma Saltado itself has like some history with the Peruvian uh, Japanese influence, you know, with the soy sauce. And there's a lot of really fascinating kind of cross-cultural pollination in Peruvian cuisine. So that I'm very jealous, <laughs> I must say. Yeah, it was it's it's really good. Like the food is incredible. Um, my hosts have been very gracious. Um, and, uh, it, it, you know, sightseeing, I did a whole tour of the city yesterday, um, mm. got some really good footage of like the town squares and, um, like some of these buildings, I mean, alone, um, I saw pre-Incan, uh, oh, pyramids wow. yesterday, um, from like a thousand years before the, the Inca. Wow, um, that's how old this thing was. And just to look at the the structure of it, they made these bricks out of like mud and straw, and they're still mm -hmm. there. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah, it was really amazing. Um, I love going to visit I've... nations where you can and cities where you can really uh, step back in time a long ways. You know, it's kind of like how I felt when when I went to. Um, southern Europe, you know, and was traveling through Italy and, and such. And it's just like, it's it's a magical experience to step into a whole other environment like that. Oh, absolutely. And um, like yesterday on the tour, um, we went to, um, the last name was Higgins. Um, he was from Chile, but loved Peru and bought a house in city center. Um, but when they were doing some, some, some modifications on the place, um, they had found, um, the, the foundation of it was built all the way, like, from the time of the Inca. Oh, wow. Like, yeah, so they, they dug a hole in, like, the foyer, and mm -hmm. you can see where the Inca was, and then after that and then after that and you could see all the and that's how cities are built you know um so this has been very very informational i knew nothing about peru uh before coming here so yeah it's very interesting yeah that's awesome and so you're there for a few more days and then um and then uh i know it's it's not just pride month but pride season so um you have some other stuff coming up or um, thank God it's Oh, goodness gracious. Oh, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> a little jet lag. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> I, I have a, um, I, I have to go to Cusco and Machu Picchu, and then we fly back mm -hmm. to Fort Lauderdale, and I'm in Fort Lauderdale for 10 days. Um, I'm doing a, um, I'm doing an event, um, when I first get there, and then later on in the week on Friday is my birthday. Oh, well, a uh, happy oh. birthday ahead of time. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. Um, <laughs> I think my, uh, I think my, my friend, I told my friend, um, my friend Leote, uh, to plan my birthday. And I think he's <laughs> starting to get frustrated <laughs> with me because I keep asking questions. <laughs> I think he's getting mad at me. But, you know, he always <laughs> How mad can you get at somebody about their birthday? Come on. Anyway. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, that all sounds really fun. And, um, you know, I, I it's really just interesting to hear 
kind of like how you know because it's first of all i didn't think it's cool that lima has a pride that is like you know sounds like it's pretty big uh for a place that you know sounds like it's still kind of emerging and figuring out you know what it means to be lgbtq um in that culture so it's really cool that you're sort of a part of that um can gays actually get married there legally um you know i i i don't believe so okay well, I don't believe so. so there are the, there the, are definitely things to work on there as we have done here at home in North America. So, mm-hmm, right. Yeah. Um, I don't believe that you can because um, you know I was talking to the guy um, that was getting married to the woman and um, said that he wanted kids, and I was like, "Well, can't you get married and um, have kids with a husband?" Like, and I don't think that. Um, I don't think that I was maybe understanding because I mean everything's in Spanish, but um, it was. Uh, I think I don't believe that they're able to. Yeah. yeah. Yet, but that's why that's why they're trying to. Um, I think a lot of this. Uh, I think this pride is a, a big pride for them, um, and fighting for rights um, mm-hmm. and um, fighting for acceptance. Well, know, Jordy Massive, I know you're. I know you're really well known in in the adult entertainment world, uh, and people probably know how to get to you. But really quickly, how do they find you? Um, yeah, um, if you go to uh, OnlyFans.com, Jordy Massive, J O R D I Massive, M A S S I V E X X X. Also on Twitter, um, same handle. Uh, Instagram is Jordy Massive, J O R D I M A S S I V E. Great. Well, have a great trip down there. Enjoy Machu Picchu, Pichu, and uh, we'll continue with more of the GBC Happy Hour with Chick Maxson and Richie Roy. I'm Johnny Mack. Stay with us here. We've got a lot more coming your way this week. Happy Hour on Gay BC. No agenda, except for that gay one. Hello, and welcome back to the Happy Hour. <laughs> um, hope you're having a great time so far. Um, and uh, just a little update from that first segment, which we recorded a couple days ago. Um, I've seen the pictures, and it looks like Lima Pride was absolutely banging. Yeah, um, like over a million people, people. Yeah, people as far as the eye can see. And um, and Jordy reported that uh, he is exhausted from all from smiling so much. <laughs> so um, so sounds like things went off well there. Um, and then stateside uh, to kind of turn to a different type of story um we had a little bit of justice this week um a little so well yeah a little a lot yeah um so um anderson lee aldrich uh who killed five people and injured 19 others at club q in colorado springs in 2022 was sentenced this week and um this was you know yet another in our uh, very sad uh, sort of litany of AR-related shootings. Um, this this person went into Club Q, which is a you know a queer space, and started shooting, 
killed a bunch of people, injured a bunch of people, and was sentenced this week to five consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole, and an additional 2,208 years for attempted murder charges. And um, so that's really good. And, you know, I think that uh, another aspect that was important is that folks who were affected directly by these events were able to, you know, make statements in court, um, you know, that that this person had to listen to. Um, the things that I found was an interesting little wrinkle was um, there was also four years added for bias motive charge. Uh-oh, Richie, Richie's breaking that, um, up there. That's kind of like minor. Do you want to say that again? Uh -oh. You kind of broke up there a bit. Oh, sorry about that. Um, I was just saying that the additional four years for bias-motivated charges, um, it strikes me as a kind of a little a, a little minor. Um, I feel like, you know, when something's a bias-motivated or hate-related um, event, there should be a little more teeth in the in the um, sentencing, but you know I'll take it. I'll take the many thousands of years. Um, but you know it did give me pause to think that um, that was it four years for, for the fact that it was bias motivated. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, but you know when you're getting an additional two thousand two hundred and eight years to begin with, you know <laughs> what's four years among friends. <laughs> that's true um and it, it just was good you know in a week where and you know we'll we'll get into it later in the show um to, you know sort of at the end of pride month to get a little bit sucker punched by the supreme court and you know the kind of onslaught of constant anti-trans and anti-lgbtq legislation that's passing at the state level to see you know just justice playing out um you know and for the folks who, you know, sort of were directly suffering or died because of the Club Q incident that, you know, they can hopefully get a little closure there. Um, and, you know, obviously, um, you know, echoes of the Pulse uh, right. nightclub. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that so far this Pride season, we haven't given the kind of crazy climate we're in. We haven't seen anything like that happening. Um, you know, I know there's been a lot of concern that because of all this sort of anti-gay, anti-trans rhetoric that there might be some bad actors. And thankfully, Pride Month kind of came and went for the most part. So, You know, I'd like to kind of chalk it up to, to the same reality, Richie, that we had when it was time for the last uh, election. Because you might recall that Everybody predicted that there was going to be that huge red red wave in Congress and all that, and and people who are reasonable minded people who want to protect the American way of life for the majority um, showed up to make sure that mm -hmm. common sense still prevailed in many many places. It wasn't perfect, but it wasn't as bad as we had anticipated, and. I like it when we have these kinds of pleasant surprises and we don't have, you know, the worst possible fears being realized, especially at an event like Pride where tens of thousands to millions of people can easily show up in, you know, in a very small uh, area, uh, stretch of real estate, you know? 
Yeah, it also really speaks to the importance of, um, you know, pride really was initially an act of bravery. Yeah. And to kind of maintain that bravery in the face of somewhat scary rhetoric that I think seeks, you know, if nothing else, to sort of chill the and, you know, curb the enthusiasm to maybe try to get prides canceled, to try to get Target to take stuff out of the stores. And, you know, when when that wins, uh, you're you're negotiating with terrorists. And that's not a position that anyone really wants to be in. So uh, I am happy that um, Pride Month, you know, has has by and large gone off without a hitch. And I think pretty successfully, it seems. Indeed. Well, we've got a lot more stuff to talk about on the legal front, as you just mentioned a few moments ago. Later in our program, uh, the last half hour of our show today, next hour, is going to pretty much exclusively focus on the amazing things that are happening at the Supreme Court level. And I don't say the word amazing in this way uh, as a positive indicator necessarily. <laughs> but um, with... It, that's one of the benefits of having somebody who is actually an you know an educated bona fide lawyer who is with us. So Richie will be able to help us break down exactly the things that happened this week and and you know what the hope for tomorrow is on that front as well. And we got a lot of the good stuff coming up here on the GBC Happy Hour with Chick Maxson and Richie Roy. I'm Johnny Mack, and we're going to talk next about the Subaru story. You know that Subaru was the first automaker in the world to market to the LGBTQ market. And we're going to talk to the two guys who were behind that. We're going to be joined by John Nash and Tim Bennett. They're coming up next after the news update. Stay with us. You think these guys aren't interesting enough without you joining the show? You're probably right. 760-677-0111. That's 760-677-0111. Operators are standing by right now. Probably. Hello. Welcome back to the happy hour. And uh, we are doing a segment that I'm really excited about, actually, um, to go back to the Subaru story. You know, we've talked a lot about um, kind of the vicissitudes of marketing to the LGBTQ community, you know, whether it's Target or Starbucks or whatever. But um, kind of going back a little bit in time, um, you know, we're uh, going to talk about with John Nash and Tim Bennett about what it was like to kind of create the sort of one of the seminal LGBTQ marketing campaigns uh, with Subaru, which to this day, you know, it's it's really kind of intricately linked to our community. So um, with that, uh, look forward to uh, talking with them today. Hello. Let's welcome Tim and John. Welcome to the show. Hello, guys. Thanks for having us. A pleasure. Yes, to have this, you. Is, uh, this, is, this is Tim. Thanks for having us. So um, before we get going into this, I want to also uh, mention, in the interest of full disclosure, 
that I've had the privilege of working with these guys for many years and had the opportunity to be a spokesperson for the LGBTQ market with them while they were doing their thing with Subaru uh, back in the early 2000s when I was at Sirius Satellite Radio. So we've had a a lot of great um, opportunities to talk in the past, but it's such an amazing story, gentlemen, to hear what happened at the beginning. Maybe you could uh, tell us a little bit about that. Tim, you were the head of advertising for Subaru of America, and um, John, you ran uh, an agency that handled all of the creative and the marketing plans for that, right? Correct, correct. And, you know, um, it actually does start at the agency side, the story of Subaru, with um, a question. And it began with actual research um, where the marketing team at Subaru was curious as to who was, in fact, the purchaser of their vehicle why were certain pockets around the country predominantly, for example, women or outdoor enthusiasts? And so Subaru asked us to do research on that, which led us to Northampton, Massachusetts. And if you guys know Northampton, it uh, is a lesbian bastion. And when we did qualitative groups up there, we were like, wait a minute, this is a really great group of people who have driven the car and love the brand and speak about it in a kind of coded way. And Tim, I'll pass that off to you because that's kind of the impetus for it, right? Right, and you know, John and I, in full disclosure, have known each other since high school. We both went to the same high school in Connecticut. And the work that John's agency was doing was proprietary and no one was supposed to know. Of course, this is 1993, 94. I think the only person that was out might've been Elton John, maybe, maybe Billie <laughs> Jean King. And, um, and so even though John and I knew each other, and I used to vacation with John and at Fire Island or P-Town or wherever, he never told me he was doing this work. And while he was doing this work, I met Martina Navratilova's agent, who had, they had just come back from the march in Washington in 1993, I believe it was, and they wanted to do this affinity card, which would uh, raise dollars for, back then we just said G&L, uh, the gay and lesbian market. And so I, on one track, was talking with the sales group and then the marketing group and research. John's agency was working with marketing through research, and then we all kind of collided. And what was so funny was John and I, being such good friends, had no idea that um, we were both working on something that ended up uh, being something we're talking about 20-some years later, I guess. You know, I would never imagine that a Japanese automaker would be so quick to jump in, back at that time anyway, into the uh, LGBT market. Uh, how did that happen? Yeah, they weren't quick. Uh, it, yeah, it took about, you know, it took about a year um, of making sure that, you know, the person at the time, Tim Mahoney, who was the research guy that John, John referenced, um, they spent a lot of time trying, or we spent a lot of time making sure that we had our internal practices correct and that everything was done pitch perfect because this was all new territory for everybody. We had no idea um, and, and really had no idea we were making history. We thought we were doing what was a smart business decision. As John said, these people were, the, particularly the lesbian population was already buying the car. But when it was presented to the Japanese management, um, they it was misdiagnosed, uh, I guess, in their colloquial dictionaries 
of happy marketing rather than <laughs> when they said we're doing gay. It came out that we're doing happy marketing. And I remember saying to Tim Mahoney, I said, I don't think they understand what we're doing. He just kind of shook his head. He goes, well, they will eventually. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But, you know, I will, well, say, I will say, John, and, I, and I'll, let, I'll let John say his part of it, but I will say once it did get out, the, the equivalent of the Wall Street Journal in Japan, had said that things were so bad at the North American Subaru unit that we were selling cars to pedophiles. Oh, no. You know, this is 19, and that Martina Navratilova was the equivalent of Jeffrey Dahmer. So, you know, so here we are, what, 25 years later. It still sounds like we're having the same conversations, right? Yeah. Did that publication ever eat its words when they saw the quarterly results? (laughs) Uh, you know, it's the knee-high shim boom, I think is the name of it. I don't know. You know, I don't think they ever were. All of a sudden, I think everybody's embracing uh, gay in some way, or at least it appears to be in, from country standpoint. But, you know, we were told there were no gay people in Japan, so they, it was just a very foreign thing to them. And the thing I thought was interesting, you know, kind of looking, I look back at some of the imagery and I do remember it from the time, but um, that there was, it was kind of like, there was a knowingness to the representation, right? There was a little bit of kind of sub rosa kind of wink. Um, You know, it it, it was about where it was placed and what it was saying. Oh, very clever. Yeah, yeah, that was a perfect um, analysis that you just made there as well. And you prove it, in, and you prove it in some ways. The point that we were always trying to make with, with the entire campaign, which is the uh, the reason this uh, we believe the reason we know for a fact the reason the Subaru campaign worked so well was it was in book. So you were already uh, predisposed to our message if you were reading the Advocator Out or Curve, for example, a lot of these print titles, or maybe the Washington Blade. And we always like the idea of this coded thing. And I think it comes from the fact that when you were gay in the 80s and 90s, it was almost as if you got a roadmap, a secret roadmap. Here are the movies you're supposed to watch. It's all about Eve, the women, <laughs> uh, that kind of thing. Here's the bars to go to. Here's the bookstores you're going to buy your books at. Mm-hmm. And so this campaign was in some ways an unusual extension of that. And you were 100% correct when you say it's a wink and it's a knowing thing because this allowed the consumer to complete a circle. They could go dot, they could create a dotted line. They got all the information in the ad, like uh, a a campaign we did that had, for example, um, custom license plates. And one would say Xena lover. And unless you knew that the lesbians adored Lucy Lawless as Xena, you just didn't get that. But and and that was the beauty of it, I think. Lots of fun. Yeah, and it's 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 interesting because you know when you when you think about a sort of analogous situations like quiet luxury, you know it's that kind of if you know you know, which actually yeah. creates like very strong affinity groups and ties, um, you know, apart from kind of a broad based marketing. So it also like I imagine there's kind of a stickiness to that. You know, once you kind of are in that in group, you know, and you know what they're doing, it, it it's you know it, it has lasting power. Yes, well said, and that, that's a good analysis of that as well. Um, it's 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 kind of like being in the well before they became everybody can get into them. Remember the first class lounges at all the airports were super exclusive. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. you got into the first class lounge, <laughs> and in the case of Subaru, it was the wink wink. Oh, you know you know the value of the car. You love all wheel drive, and you know they support the community. Uh, you know, so it's that kind of it, yeah, well said, and I think you're right. 
And interestingly, in, in the last five years, I would say, John and I have both, um, when it comes Pride, you know, June Pride time, uh, we seem to be, there's a whole new generation of young journalists in their early 20s that are just discovering the campaign. And uh, I think John was interviewed this year at the Washington Post. I got interviewed at NPR. And then there's a couple of European um, publications that have contacted us to interview. And so the story, it's, it's amazing to us that um, all these years later, because what a lot of people don't realize is after I left and then John's agency, I think, was there another year or two, perhaps. But the program kind of went away. Right, John? It, it, mm-hmm. Yep, it's true. Yeah. And, um, and they, so, they wound it, they wound it down. Be, yeah. So and that, so the other thing is about it is that it still gets a lot of press and certainly good return on the investment. But um, there was a number of brands that did the very early navigating of the of the gay consumer, and um, they no longer are doing it. But uh, I don't know whether anyone notices or not. Yeah, it's that first mover thing because I mean I know for me I don't know what Absolute is up to these days, but like they're still like that's the gay vodka. Like and you know if I'm if I am out and partaking, you know I'm like I'll have an Absolute raspberry and soda. Why not? You know. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. And as Tim said, yeah. Go on, John. Oh, I was going to say. Uh, to his, I think there was a unique period in cultural history and in marketing and in media specifically before the arrival of social media and a more broad use of the internet where you could be very targeted with messaging and you could literally capture an audience because you were supporting their publications, you were showing up at their events, and you were speaking to them in the first person, and it was a dialogue that they appreciated. You know, um, the last couple of months have actually shocked me um, in terms of the the incredible idiotic pushback to like the Dylan Mulvaney Bud Light thing, mm-hmm. Target and their displays, the whole bit, because it just feels like, you know, <laughs> an enormous step backward. Um, and at the same time, Tim and I sort of saw this this kind of scenario coming down the pikes because when we used to do research about the campaign for Subaru, so let's say it was year seven of our campaign, and we would every every nine or 14 months, Tim would request the agency to go out and check the market just to see, were we hitting the right notes? Was the consumer still entertained by the advertising? Did they consider the brand? Was it still a good, you know, good brand mark for them? And what we kept hearing repeatedly was a wish list from the LGBTQ consumer at back then, the gay and lesbian consumer, that always had near the top of it, I want to be seen in real ads like general market advertising. I want to watch um, Everybody Loves Raymond, and during the commercial break, someone gay appears in an ad. And it was interesting that that was always put as like a goal of, of our community to be like seen in advertising on a national level. And I'm always puzzled about that because I've, I've never desired to see that kind of inclusion. I've always loved the wink-wink side, like someone talking to me a little away from the, the matting crowd <laughs> as a way to put it. Um, so it's not to say that one equals the other, but the minute we did become more elevated and more embedded in the culture, it also makes you more of a target in some ways. And the companies that do this kind of thing have to have an added level of sensitivity about 
how they do it and how they support what they're doing. Do they have a game plan for dealing with that eventuality? Hopefully it never happens, but obviously in the case of of uh, InBev, uh, Anheuser-Busch, it did. Uh, and I'm even told that there might be a campaign forthcoming that may face that same kind of heat uh, with the United States Department of Defense for the for the Navy. You know, they should if they if they had, um, and I'm sure they do. These are large, large, you know, global corporations. I'm sure that they have a plan. We had a plan at Subaru, and I still employ it to this day. And John and I do a lot of consulting with uh, clients trying to reach the LGBTQ consumer. And our position is you're not going to, if, if you're going to engage, you really can't engage in, in conversation if somebody doesn't, if somebody's predisposed to not like you. It's the equivalent of if you're going to argue about gun control or you're going to argue about abortion or a woman's right to choose. If you don't believe that as a starting point, I'm not going to change your mind. And so if you start engaging, and that was one thing we did at Subaru, we had lots of hate mail. We had lots of pushback. And we would just simply say, thanks for your feedback. We'll take it. You know, thanks for your feedback. We'll pass it along. We sell cars to a smart and diverse audience, well-educated audience of people, and just left it at that. Because if you start saying, well, if you start getting into a, a conversation or a debate, you're just feeding into the flame of, okay, we got their attention. Let's keep pushing it. And so we never, ever would engage in the, in the back and forth. Our guests on the GBC Happy Hour today are John Nash and Tim Bennett, and they are joining us to talk about the Subaru story and about LGBTQ marketing from mainstream businesses to our community and the recent backlash that has happened as well from broader communities. We'll talk more about that with them, and we also have coming up in our next hour a discussion with Sid Ziegler from outsports.com about what's going on in the NHL and Major League Baseball and some of the pushback there. Stay with us. Got a great show ahead with Chick Maxson and Richie Roy. I'm Johnny Mack. Back in a minute. Come on, turn that frown upside down. It's the happy hour on GBC. Welcome back to the happy hour. Um, we are currently having a wonderful conversation with John Nash and Tim Bennett about um, the Subaru story and just more broadly about marketing uh, to the LGBTQ community. Um, so to that end, um, what what kind of stuff are you guys working on these days? Oh, uh, Tim, <laughs> we, we're, we're doing a lot of different stuff. Um, we actually helped launch a um, connoisseur cannabis brand out in Colorado a few years ago, and we just got off some project work with none other than Procter & Gamble, which is a really cool company. Mm. Um, and, and it's this wonderful exposure, uh, really, to different management and different individuals who make decisions and who are in marketing that we really appreciate a great deal. And to kind of circle back on that previous conversation we had about how do you avoid, uh, you know, blowback and all the crap that happens when the far right gets a, their foot in the door. 
it all really comes down to uh, management and decision makers who believe in the consumer, who see them, and who say, you know, this is a valuable conversation. I want this to continue, and I'm not going to be um, sidetracked by it. Yeah, I, it's it's interesting as I've noticed anecdotally, you know, with the the kind of the rise of the trolls that. Um, just in my in Instagram, which I, I admit I am addicted to, um, you know, my feed during Pride Month, you know, different companies, you know, whether it's Ritter Sport, candy bars or Lamy fountain pens or whoever it is, you know, they would do the kind of obligatory like a rainbow of their product and just, you know, some sometimes say pride, sometimes not even say that. And just the the picture of a product in a rainbow formation was enough to trigger people in the comments to be absolutely virulent. Um, and I imagine it's just kind of a different atmosphere, you know, with the rise of social media, you know, that the, the, the audience is talking back. And a lot of times there are some pretty gross people talking back. Yeah, that, you know, that's a good point. I mean, we would receive, you know, back during the days before social media, as John had referenced, we would receive letters. So you actually had to make, sit at a typewriter or, you know, hand write a letter or a note or a card and, and or call into an 800 number and express your displeasure. But now, yes, everyone's an expert. Everyone's an influencer. Everyone's a, um, a opinion, uh, you know, expert on whatever the topic is. And it would be frustrating. Um, I will say in the dilemma of anything, I, you know, if it is true that they had just sent out hundreds of these packages to a number of influencers, uh, that is something that we also would not advocate because you don't know what you're going to get. You know, and not that not that what Dylan Mulvaney did was wrong or anything was offensive about what she did. Um, but it's uh, when you just kind of blindly send things out to some of these influencers, you really can't control your brand's message. That's an interesting point. You know, it's I feel like there's a lot of. Um, with with things especially like TikTok and kind of these fast moving things sort of chasing the dragon of cultural relevance you know just who what, what lightning is going to strike in the right way and like you know it struck so in the wrong way there and because the trolls kind of picked up on it but i can't imagine that's an easy job to have is trying to trying to make a brand relevant and sort of break through the chatter in like you know instagram and TikTok feeds it seems really hard yeah, that would yeah. not be my ideal. Yeah, <laughs> that would not be my ideal job. And, you know, the shame of the Dylan Mulvaney thing is Dylan Mulvaney is a class act. I, there, was nothing, there was nothing wrong with what she did with that can and the way it was presented, <laughs> which just tells you that it's not about her and it wasn't about Bud Light. It's about the audacity of, of people to actually, you know, speak to us since we do exist. It, and, and that's what Tim said earlier. You can't really argue with these folks because their minds are made up. You know, they, they <laughs> but yeah, it's going back to your thing about your Instagram feed. Um, it is, it is a very changed landscape in terms of communications and how we speak. To, and, and I loved what you said, the customers talking back. I mean, that sums up, I'm smiling because it's such a brilliantly said line. And so true. It is truly this weird, almost real-time two-way conversation. Are there things that you absolutely advise people to stay away from now that you didn't previously do because of, well, just because of the tenor of 
everything that's going on in the world today and and how America is so split down the middle politically and it seems socially too uh, are there are there obvious things that you're telling clients right now don't do this even if you're going to emerge into this market later That's a, you know, that's an interesting question. We, we ran into, you know, there are some situations where um, we ran into it with with one client in particular a while back where the, some of the creative that they were doing in-house we thought might have been too stereotypical. John, you remember it, it dealt with tops and bottoms. Oh, and I do. It, and, and, you know, so, and it was a sense, we, we felt it was a sensitive, there was another way that they could have, gotten the message across a bit more and be a bit more clever we deal with a lot of tops and bottoms here too (laughs) you know there is actually i have to say my mind was absolutely blown in the best way possible because i uh for for reasons i won't get into i listen to the country station a lot (laughs) um but it's it is a red you know kind of a red meat country station. But during Pride Month, Metamucil ran ads that were very much like from top to bottom. We want to make sure that this month goes great for everyone. And it was very kind of like a little hokey. But the fact hearing that on the country station, I was like, what is happening? I love this. <laughs> wow! Wow, Tim. That, yeah. That that. I think we've left the marketers speechless. But you know where you won't find them speechless is that they actually do a really great couple of podcasts every week. The Focus Group and TFG Unbuttoned. Tell us about those guys. Oh, Tim, you go, you could go ahead. Well, I, so the um, so the Focus Group actually, and thanks to uh, the work with uh, with SiriusXM, and, uh, and your host here that uh, has invited us on. Um, we're now in our 15th year of doing, which was a business-focused show to the uh, gay and lesbian consumer or the LGBTQ consumer. And when SiriusXM decided to um, rid itself of OutQ and, uh, and specific gay programming, we went out on our own and uh, now pretty much available anywhere that you can find audio um, and are doing the show each week. And um, John and I, I think we've strayed a little bit from business, John. We've added some pop culture and uh, oh, talk about yeah. some things that, you know, some things differently. We also don't have as, as many guests as we used to, but, and that was part, partly because of the pandemic. But it's, uh, it's a fun show. We, we, we think we cover things you're not going to get other places. And um, we're thankful for everyone who's tuned in after all these years. Yeah, well, we're thankful yeah, that you guys have that voice there, um, and and you do cover a lot of really interesting things. Um, uh, and do you think that at some point you might bring some of that interactivity back, or how do you do that? Mostly through social media that you uh, bring comments from your listeners back into the program. We were, I think, the thing about being on live radio, especially at Sirius Satellite Radio was the fact that you had a captive audience in their cars and they loved calling in like we (laughs) and i we haven't figured out how to replicate that call-in experience and and now we find that everybody just loves time shifting so that even if you were live you might not have the same 
scale of audience or the same amount of people interacting with you. So we're still trying to crack that nut. And even down to trying to figure out the optimum length of something. So some of our shows that are 20 minutes get yeah. like crazy play and some that are 42 minutes get good play. But if they're 50 minutes, it's a little questionable. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, so I'm sorry. I will go, go ahead, out on a limb here. Um, I haven't I haven't queried the other hosts of the show yet, but um, I have like about 70 topics that I like want to like pick your brains about. So I hope you do come back here as another location to talk about things because, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, you know, LGBTQ marketing kind of is both reflective of the community and both and and can be creative of the community itself and what the community looks and feels like. Um, and so, you know, I think it's kind of a really central thing to, to be talking and thinking about. So it's really great to have you on today. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure to be on. Yes, thank you. Thanks for having us. And anytime, John and I will come out in the winter. We'll be live with you. <laughs> Absolutely. We, we want you to be here with us in studio in Palm Springs anytime. <laughs> Thanks, thanks, guys, so much, and look forward to catching up with you again. And uh, people can find uh, the focus group where? It's at focusgroupradio.com. Great. Focusgroupradio.com. Tim Bennett and John Nash, thank you for joining us here on the GBC Happy Hour. Stay with us. Richie Roy, Chick Maxson, and I will continue in just a couple of moments, and we'll be joined by a special guest, Sid Ziegler from Outsports.com is going to join us. And we're going to talk about the NHL and other professional sports organizations and players pulling a U-turn on being LGBTQ friendly or even tolerant. Stay along. This is the GBC Happy Hour from Mutual. Hour with Richie Roy, Chick Maxson, and Johnny Mac. These homosexuals are scheming for world domination. Good grief. What is it with every talk show host thinking they should run the planet? Anywho, back to the Gay BC Happy Hour. Hello, and welcome back to the Happy Hour. Um, hope you enjoyed our conversation with John Nash and Tim Bennett. I certainly did, and I look forward to future conversations. And we'll keep the uh, we'll keep the momentum going. And we have another special guest this week in studio with us, no less, here in Palm Springs. I am joined by uh, Sid Ziegler, who is the co-founder uh, co of Outsports.com. Hi, Sid. Thanks for joining us. God, it's it's pretty hot out. <laughs> it's very hot. <laughs> we, we, we're 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 new to Palm Springs, and this is my first weekend in uh, July. Yeah, so it's 100, 114 is pretty hot. Yeah, yeah. It got up to actually one hundred and eighteen here yesterday, <laughs> and um, you know, I was just about to tell you we were talking right, uh, during the news break. I was just about to share with you that when I came out here to take my first job uh, that I had out here, the 
temperature the day that I interviewed with the radio station was 123. Oh. And I walked outside and I was like, well, dude, if if you can handle this, you can handle just about anything. I felt like a cockroach that day. I, people talk about dry heat. and Even in a dry heat, 123 is really hot. It is really <laughs> hot. I, I can handle it up to about 112, 115, okay? But when we start going north of that, it, it's a little different. Um Richie and Chick and I have been talking the last couple of weeks about things like what happened with the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Boston Red Sox uh, and their farm system uh, had a little issue. And then I think that there was something up in Toronto and, and, and then the NHL uh, has this issue where the sweaters that they would wear prior to an, a game on like a pride night uh, that had the pride colors flagged in them uh, are no longer going to be worn now. We we talked about that last week, and I thought, who better to bring in and have that discussion with? And we all agreed that uh, we should have the guy who runs out sports come and talk about it because I think you've been covering this fairly extensively, right? I've been in the middle of a lot of what you just talked about. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, the Dodgers... Um, yeah. I, I feel bad because the Dodgers are incredible supporters of the LGBT community. There, there is not a professional sports team that has, over the last five, eight years, been more supportive of our community. And the way that they mishandled inviting the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence to their Pride Night was... Um, I know so many people there. I love everyone there. They're amazing. And it just, I felt terrible. I'll be honest with you. I was stunned when I read the story because uh, when I was working at that group of radio stations here in Palm Springs, uh, I had occasion to do some work with Eric Braverman. Yeah. And Eric is oversees all the broadcast stuff for the Dodgers organization. And I had only read just a couple of years ago about the fact that he had a big night on the mound. Uh, that yeah. they actually did a gay marriage on the mound. Yeah, he uh, got married. On, he got married in Dodger Stadium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Eric is so. Uh, earlier this week, we ran what we're calling the Outsports Power One Hundred, the, yeah. the most powerful, influential out people in sports. He was the highest ranking man at number five. He is incredibly influential in sports. He has run the Dodgers Pride Night. It is the most successful Pride Night in, in all of sports in the whole world. <laughs> Last year, they sold 18,000 tickets. This year, I think it was ten to 12,000. By far the most successful. And, and I, my heart broke for him and Lon Rosen, is his boss, who's an amazing ally, was Magic Johnson's agent for many years. And I, I just... It, it, it's so hard when you are trying to balance the needs of the LGBT community and the the Christian community. You have, the Dodgers have a huge Christian and Catholic fan base, so trying to balance all of that was tough for them. Yeah, very tough. Did they think about this before they started doing them? Before they started doing the Pride Nights, I yeah. mean the the the. the whole, the Pride Nights wasn't the issue. The, the issue was the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. And you can understand how someone who doesn't know their history and doesn't know all the incredible work in the community that they've done 
since the 80s could be offended or find it hard to accept that. Right. Uh, and it's been a process of educating the public on the work that the sisters do. Richie? Yeah, I mean, I, the thing that I think was interesting about that particular thing was, um, was I think, an, a catalyst of that whole situation was Marco Rubio inserting himself um, needlessly and kind of like making an issue of the sisters. Um, and I think it was kind of like, you know, through the first brick or whatever, because, um, yeah, I mean, they're obviously um, an incredibly meaningful and sort of seminal, you know, cornerstone of of the LGBTQ community, you know, during especially during the AIDS crisis and ongoing. But, you know, it, it seemed like Marco Rubio sort of saw, you know, it, a a moment to kind of create a confected media event and and what happened was kind of a perfect storm of badness for the Dodgers when I first got the press release that they were inviting the sisters and honoring them with a, a community hero award I when I saw that I thought uh oh <laughs> <laughs> uh oh that they don't know that, what I don't, I'm not to. sure that that they thought through this as much as maybe they should have. Yeah. And it was Mar Marco Rubio is just one part of it. It was the it was the I think it was the Catholic League. I can't remember what the organization is called, but it's this really really um bad organization yes. that's extremely uh, yes. self-anointed kind of yeah. spokesman for, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it was the listen, the, the Dodgers stepped in it and there was somebody there ready to scream about it and right. un, un, uninviting an organization uh, <laughs> yeah it's 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 a like people will there will be um, media relations classes that write about this situation <laughs> for years yeah. to come well since then there that was not the only uh, uh, foul ball when it came to handling LGBTQ community relations in sports. And it just seems like it's been one after, uh, one after another recently. So then you have the situation up in, uh, in New England, and you're a native New Englander, yeah. if I remember right, mm -hmm. um, that happened in, I believe, at the minor league level of the uh, Red Sox organization. Yeah, the Red Sox... They signed a guy, I don't know, it was earlier this year or last year to their, their, their minor league program who said some really bad stuff on Twitter and homophobic stuff. And the, the, the team became aware of it in the spring. And f f again, <laughs> media relations classes will write <laughs> study this for years. When they realized what had happened with this guy on Twitter two years ago, instead of addressing it up front, they tried to just bury it. And But the members of the Boston sports media knew about it. So when they called this minor league player up for one game, the sports media wrote about it. And and it, the, the, the Red Sox could have addressed this months ago. <laughs> And chose to try to eh, just just kind of bear, sweep it under the rug, just kind of bury it. And you know, I, I again, 
we're not all going to agree. Right. You're on a, sp a professional sports team. You're going to have every single opinion under the sun. I, I don't think somebody's career should, needs to end because of a tweet, but you got to address it. You've yeah. got to talk about it. We have to talk about it. We're never going to get. We're never going to build bridges if we can't talk about this stuff. And that was the Red Sox mistake: not just addressing this and letting it kind of stew in the Boston media under the radar until <laughs> it yeah. exploded. Well, and I think also that there's a lot of people that I've heard who've said, "Look." You know, this is America. We have the First Amendment. People can say anything. People also have to live with their expressions, too. They have to be held accountable personally. And I don't know that I necessarily hold an organization that generally has been supportive of our community, responsible for everything that somebody says. But I do think that when you have the power of influence that athletes have on people in this country— especially on young people, that when there are expressions that are uh, antisocial, to say the least, uh, towards a part of the community, um, that the organizations have a right to say, here's a level of public conduct that we, that we expect out of all of our players. Don't, don't be, you can believe whatever you want to believe, but don't be vocally, publicly intolerant of any of our fans. You, you, you put it perfectly. Again, like I said, any professional sports locker room has every political perspective under the sun. Right. You have gay athletes. You have anti-gay athletes. You got Muslims. You got Christians, atheists. And to take that to the public square yeah. in, in the way that this athlete did, of course the Red Sox have reason for concern. And right. again, it's just... The way they mishandle it. I feel bad for the athlete. Here he is. He's getting his major league debut. And all anyone's talking about is some really bad tweets. And they got killed that game. I, I, I mean, I, I don't feel by bad. By the public. For, they, got, they got killed by the public, but they yeah. got killed by, <laughs> by Cleveland. Yeah. They, 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 they got, it was like 10 to 3 or something. Well, do you think, I mean, as somebody who leads probably the preeminent uh, sports-related uh, media in this country, uh, in North America, in terms of the LGBTQ perspective, uh, why is, and I, I shouldn't say it this way, I should say, is OutSports possibly going to go and put on workshops for organizations like these professional sports teams to say, here's how you handle these things? Here's Here's what what could happen and keep you neutral, at least, to your fans? We advise a lot of people in sports yeah. behind the scenes. There, there are organizations like You Can Play and Athlete Ally that do trainings and education. We have relationships with people from every single league front office to a lot of different teams. So we're constantly trying to... <laughs> Trying to help, okay, uh, but there was there was no help in the Red Sox with that, <laughs> the way they mishandled that, right? And well, one of the one of the big Boston sports writers is Steve Buckley, who is openly gay, and you know, he, I I think even he tried to to help the Red Sox avoid a disaster, and there was no avoiding it. Um, 
let's move to the NHL because that's really the um, topic of the day. And I'm concerned as somebody who lives in the American Hockey League's newest franchise city um, that this could trickle down because we have an extraordinarily positive LGBTQ community relationship between the team, the team's owners, and this this market here in the Palm Springs area. And they get it. They know that this is a very big LGBTQ market. And um, in fact, the senior most person, the senior most executive in charge of the organization that owns the team and owns the stadium himself is a gay man. So um, I hate to see us go backwards. There's certainly times when I see a lot of anti-LGBTQ sentiment in this community by some who are very small-minded but um i don't want to see what happened at the nhl trickle down here what what what's going to go on i am struggling to think of a league or a team that has more poorly handled an, an lgbt issue than what the nhl has done so for those of you who don't know A bunch of teams in the NHL, the National Hockey League, decided that they were going to have their players wear rainbow pride jerseys for warm-ups during their pride night. And a handful of players refused. Some of the teams decided to ditch the jerseys entirely. Some of the teams decided to just kind of sit that player for the warm-ups and they didn't warm up because they refused to wear the pride jersey. The league commissioner said multiple times this year, you have to tolerate homophobia. You have to accept homophobia. He literally said this, just completely tone deaf. And at the league meetings last week, during Pride Month, he convinced the team owners to ban all pride jerseys in the entire league for warm-ups or during the game or anything else. Now they couched it in, oh, it's 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 any um any com- uh, community jersey. We're not allowing any community jersey, but right. the, the, they did it to ban the pride jerseys. Well, I thought I had heard that they were going to make an exception for um uh for nights that honored uh, law enforcement and the breast cancer awareness stuff, and that kind of really made my hair go on edge but but i'm not i'm not sure that that's uh, accurate information that i had so um are they really truly going to do that and how are they going to uh explain away this thing with all of these different cause communities when that's a big part of their community relations effort yeah it's it, a lot of communities are upset about this no, it's not just the lgbt community the, the reason they did it is because they had egg on their face. You have to remember, maybe it was a dozen, two dozen players over the entire NHL refused to wear these jerseys. Mm-hmm. 95% of the players wore the jerseys and had no problem with it. And many of the players spoke publicly about how they took pride in wearing the pride jerseys. So it's it's just, it's it's incredibly unfortunate that the league commissioner... He's just toned. He's just toned deaf on this. It's it's bizarre. And, and what's weird is the NHL has been considered a leader on this issue over the years. 
We're going to continue our conversation with Sig Ziegler from Outsports.com. We'll come back, and uh, if you'd like to join the conversation, maybe you have a question or a comment, it's welcome at our telephone number, 760-677-0111. That's 760-677-0111 with Richie Roy and Chick Maxson. I'm Johnny Mack. This is the GBC Happy Hour. Where the drinks are half price, the snacks are complimentary, and the hosts just won't shut up. Welcome back to the happy hour. Um, we are here with um, with my illustrious co-host Johnny Mac and Chick Maxson, and we are talking with uh, the co the co-founder of Outsports, Sid Ziegler, about. Um, some several several missteps that have recently happened um, in terms of major leagues dealing with LGBTQ issues, but most recently we're talking about the NHL um, deciding, uh, in their infinite wisdom, to uh, get rid of warm-up jerseys uh, of all stripes, really as a sort of you know sub you know, really sort of subterfuge for just getting rid of pride warm-ups. And um, you know the thing that that strikes me about it is um, it really creates a situation too where um, there's like there's no winners here. The LGBTQ fans are feeling like alienated, um, you know, and it seems like there are certain individual teams that are more supportive than others that are kind of like twisting in the wind and figuring out what statements they need to make and you know individual players are being are being brave and coming out and saying like this is kind of bullshit um but it really leaves everyone in a really tenuous position and um seems like the easier option would have just to not make this decision so it's it's a little bit puzzling as to why they decided to do this it's not just the nhl the major league baseball excuse me made a similar decision before the season, the, the the league sent out a memo saying essentially you can't have community-based uniforms during the game. Now they allowed players to do whatever they want before the game. So that's different from the NHL. Uh, and and some teams and and executives in the Major League Baseball pushed back. And Major League Baseball's position is we're, we discourage pride um, uniforms. But if you want to do it, let's make sure we do it right. Let's not announce we're going to do it and then three hours before cancel it, <laughs> like the New York Rangers did, or with the uh, with the Philadelphia Flyers, a player refused to do it and refused to come out for the warmups. Right. So, Major League Baseball's position is do whatever you want before in in, in the warmups, but for the game, if you want to do this and 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 for the dodgers pride night the dodgers the san francisco giants and every single umpire had a pride cap on let's make sure we do it right and i think that another thing that that i thought really kind of 
struck a sour note, at least to me, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on it is, um, is, you know, after all the kerfuffle with the, with the LA Dodgers and the sisters of perpetual indulgence is there was this kind of one, two announcement. We are reinviting them, but then there was kind of a, uh, a tying that to the, the Christian night that was coming up and sort of saying like, sort of like we're here for everyone. I feel like that in a way kind of, um, set up a dichotomy that's not real. Um, so I, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on that, because, you know, obviously there are a lot of affinity nights, but to kind of set those two in opposition to each other seemed a little bit pointed and a little bit odd. Clayton Kershaw is one of the great baseball players of all time. He's one of the great Dodgers of all time. He's extremely Christian, extremely religious. He's on the team. He really did not like that the sisters were being honored. He took personal offense to it. And they had a Christian night um, in the works already. They, they did it years ago. A, a lot of teams do it. A lot of teams have Christian faith night. No problem. And I, I, it, it was to, for, I think for him it was to send a signal that, um, and he said this, I have no, he said, I have no problem with Pride Night. Um, but I want to make sure that my community is welcome in the ballpark as well. I did not have, I don't have an issue with this. I, I just, and Clayton Kershaw, he is one of the most outspoken religious Christians. He wore the pride cap for pride night. He was out there with the sisters. So I, I, I don't have a big problem with it because he, he was demonstrating, here I am, huge, huge devout Christian. I'm wearing the pride cap tonight and and i just i don't know i i i thought the announcement of the christian night was a really nice way to i, I don't know to 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 extend you know the, a, a hand to him and his community i i thought i actually thought it was important yeah um let me ask you also about uh what you think is I mean, what is the situation in other leagues like the National Basketball Association? Do they have any of these kinds of issues? Is it going on there? Is it going on in Major League Soccer? I mean, it would seem to me to be foolish in women's soccer, but, you know, I mean, there's a lot of machismo on the on the pitch. Well, last summer, um, the, the North Carolina Courage, they wore pride jerseys during their match. They had a player in the National Women's Soccer League refuse to play. She flat out refused to wear the pride jersey, and that's in the National Women's Soccer League. Mm. For for I, for me, everything was going fine. <laughs> All the teams had pride nights, and but the problem started when teams started putting the rainbow on players. And I, I've said over and over again: if you're going to do that, you better do it right. You better talk with the players. Make sure everyone understands that, that wearing a rainbow doesn't mean that you accept two men having sex. All it means is those two men are welcome in the ballpark. That's all it means. Yeah. And and that if you're going to put that rainbow on play, you have to do it right. You have to. That's what Eric Braverman has done so well with the Dodgers. He's communicated with the players, including Clayton Kershaw, who's a devout Christian, what that pride cap means. Got it. Well, I appreciate you uh, 
joining us and talking about these important issues. And I hope that we'll be able to turn to you and, and visit again on other sports-related uh, matters in the LGBTQ community. And for folks who want to be able to read you, outsports.com and any other social contacts you want to share? CYD. <laughs> Pretty much if you go on, go to social media, type in CYD. There aren't many of us. Okay. Great. Well, Sid, we appreciate you being here with us. Uh, I'll be back with Richie Roy and Chick Maxson after the news break, and we're going to be talking about the Supreme Court decisions this week. Stay with us. This is the GBC Happy Hour. You think these guys aren't interesting enough without you joining the show? You're probably right. 760-677-0111. That's 760-677-0111. Operators are standing by right now. Probably. Hello, and welcome back to the happy hour. Um, so we're now going from one sport to another in a way. Um, we're going now to the us, real blood sport. Exactly. For some of us, uh, Supreme Court watching is like our Super Bowl. And um, especially because um, these uh, these nine justices also happen to be drama queens. And they like to wait until the last day to do their mic drop on very important decisions that affect a lot of Americans and what happens to them. So we got a trifecta of um, of bullshit <laughs> right here at the end. Um, and uh, we're here to talk about it today. So um, let's see. There's the um, there's the uh, cancellation of student loan debt that was struck down. There was the decision about um, basically online harassment and bullying not being uh, sort of a First Amendment uh, protected speech. And then we had the uh, very uh, troubling case of the random woman who thought she might want to make websites at some point in the future for marriage uh, for marriages, except not those gay ones. And so, Richie, uh, can I ask you a question since you're the resident, uh, lawyer in the house here? Sure. I thought that you had to have something that they called standing in order to be able to take a case to the United <laughs> States Supreme Court. Meaning like, didn't there have to be like a lawsuit at, at like, some local court level and then making it to its way up through the U.S. appellate process or I don't know. Maybe I'm mistaken. I yeah. So you bring up a really good point on this on this last one about this website builder. <laughs> um, and uh, yes, absolutely. You need standing uh, in order to bring a case. The way that they got around this issue in the decision um, was so inartful and just so obviously like we just wanted to weigh in um, because they were just like, well, you know, at the lower court level, uh, they kind of stipulated stuff and she wouldn't have a fine if she, if she ever made a website and she refused to make one for a gay one, she probably would have gotten fined. So 
eh, that's good. Good enough for us. You know, the, 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 my, the dissent opinion by Sotomayor was like, hell no about that. Let's get but, this um, straight yeah, for everybody no. who's not paid attention to the news this week. That's part of, let us do your news watching for you. Yes. Uh, but just to be clear, what you're talking about, Richie, is that no gay or lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer questioning, intersect, any, none of that. Nobody went to this woman and asked her to make them a website about their union, correct? Right. She's not, it's a product that she has not currently offering. It's a product she was thinking about maybe doing. And, you know, she's been roasted online uh, in a very hilarious way because, um, you know, people have gone to her website and looked at the websites that she creates, which are hideous and god awful and just look like, you know, some GeoCities, you know, garbage that you would throw together yourself in 1998. Um, but, you know, and people are like, no, no self-respecting gay person would ever request your services ever, lady. But no, exactly. No one. This is a hypothetical. It's a purely hypothetical situation. And they kind of tried to make it real that like she had gotten an inquiry by some person who was gay. And then they actually looked into it. And that person is straight. Like there, it's the, the, the facts of the case that actually got it going. And like, and oops, we're losing Richie there. Uh, sorry about that. His connection is not the best. Uh, he uh, he kind of fades in and out a little bit here and there. But yeah, sorry, that's that's okay. Um, we lost you about uh, fifteen seconds ago. Uh, but you know, I personally, I was thinking about getting in the cum rig making business. And I think that maybe we should test this process out and take a case up to the U.S. Supreme Court and say that we don't want any straight people to be able to use our cum rags. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing is, why the, why the decision, why the opinion, the, the majority opinion by, I believe it was Gorsuch, was so, it was too cute by half was that basically they kept saying, well, you know, they stipulated to all these things in the lower court. They stipulated that it was that it was pure speech. They stipulated that it would be, you know, this, that, and the other. So therefore, you know, our hands are tied, which they're the Supreme Court. Their hands aren't tied. They can they can do whatever analysis they need to do. And so they, they were being so cute by just being like, well, you know, Making a website is is pure speech. It's artistry. Like they made it sound like making a fucking you know registry website was like Michelangelo making the David, and it's just so transparently not the case. Um, you know that that it was that you know every everything that she would do to create this website would be reflecting her artistry. It was just heavy on this artistry. Like you know she's making this bespoke magic thing and and that and that ever and that she would be forced to kind of like you know uh endorse everything that you know she doesn't believe in by having to make this website and the you know the the dissent was very clear that this is like a this is a commerce this is about public accommodation this isn't about forcing artists to do anything this is about someone engaged in 
rank commerce and allowing them a get out of jail free card to not not give public accommodation to people based on, you know, basically belief, you know, on, you know, beliefs that a protected class shouldn't be a protected class. It's it's bonkers. And, you know, people have have already kind of made the point that um, that you could take this decision in a lot of different, really troubling ways. Um, you know, uh, you could go to the classic, uh, you know, I I am not going to make a wedding website for an interracial couple because that offends my sensibilities because my religion doesn't agree with that or whatever. Um, and, you know, when you again talk about the show by just invoking the word religion um, for basic kind of public accommodation type situations, you end up with an untenable situation where again she she's allowed to put on her website you know this is part of the thing um you know i will not create websites for gay people and um, not only that she's like um most uh people on that side of the political fence in that she is a bald-faced liar because she not only didn't have uh somebody uh wanting that service she actually said that she did and that person who is only identified as Stuart right. um, says that he never sought any service from uh, Ms. Smith, uh, which is just absolutely uh, par for the course, if you ask me. But it kind of goes to the, 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 you know, the whole standing issue really speaks to the, the fact that with this new 6-3 Supreme Court, that what the what people on the right are doing, especially with regards to you know individual rights issues, they're just throwing spaghetti against the wall. And this court seems to be willing to let any fucking piece of spaghetti stick. Um, and they'll find standing where standing doesn't exist. They will find pretenses and reasons to make a broad sweeping decision yeah. on the thinnest of reeds. Well, Lori Smith um, committed another foul this week in front of the Supreme Court when she showed up using a gay color for her attire. She was there in very bright magenta or pink. And I think I find that as offensive as every other part of what the Supreme Court did this week. I know. I mean, I mean, Pantone, you know, should should sue her for. Absolutely. You know. <laughs> She's not worthy yeah. of our pink. <laughs> or our green. No. Um, but yeah, no, so that was only one case of many, uh, you know, over the past few days um, that kind of came down. But it's a big one. Um, you know, I think uh, we're going to see more like this, more ways of just kind of chipping away um, at LGBTQ rights, um, especially couched in, because we, you know, the other case, the other, the stalking case is similarly kind of rooted in the, it seemed like the Supreme Court's First Amendment jurisprudence is just like the wheels are f flying off of it. Um, yeah. Because that case, you know, again, uh, with the, the Supreme Court interpreting, um, the First Amendment and you know freedom of speech, finding that 
extremely, extremely aggressive, violent, constant communications with someone, um, you know, is shouldn't be actionable criminally because it's First Amendment protected. It's just weird. And, um, you know, I, I'm like, are we through the looking glass? Because Amy Coney Barrett wrote like the dissent and I'm who, and she was basically like, this is kind of like this is not speech that should be favored because it's really like scary and offensive. And I'm like, OK, I guess I agree with you. I don't like this fact like this is making me want to take a shower, but I agree with you. Like, no, like this, this is not free speech in the public square. This is a, a concerted trolling and and stalking uh, case. <laughs> the, I, it, the tone deafness of that one was just wild. Yeah, I, I would totally agree. Now, let me ask you this as, again, as as an attorney and somebody who has studied law uh, in depth, um, do you think that this uh, staunchly conservative Supreme Court uh, is actually doing the other side a bunch of favors? Aren't they doing, like, I think I read uh, an opinion in the New York Times this week that said uh, something to the effect that Technically, the Supremes are now doing the ugly political work for Democrats that's going to help them ultimately in the 2024 election cycle. So that's what we, I think that's what we in the business call looking for a silver lining. Yeah. Um, because, yes, I think that the the political out fallout of these decisions is to galvanize Democratic uh, attention um, you know, fundraising, uh, get out the vote, really, you know, kind of pounding the pavement stuff, you know, and this definitely happened after the overturn of Roe v. Wade, we saw a groundswell of activity. And I think we will see that here too. Um, yeah, we, I mean, in the in midterm way, elections, we saw, we saw a huge turnout for once, finally, by young people, Generation Z voters. And I, I think honestly that when I read things like um, the court has quote openly declared war on young people, that that's going to really move people out of their seats and get them to vote in 2024. And we're going to start to see another ground shift again, hopefully in Congress to get some common sense and get rid of all the mind rot that's ended up in the halls of Congress. I mean, you know, <laughs> you're an optimist. I, I, I hope that's the case. Um, you know, for me, what, what I just see is um, we uh, is a Supreme Court making broad decisions that are going to have big effects for years. And it's the 6-3 majority, um, and they are going to run through as much as they can. And frankly, they realize that they have more – it's easier – to get something pushed through the Supreme Court than it is to get something pushed through the legislature these days, because whether it's, you know, the cloture rules in the Senate or just kind of, you know, wrangling the sort of horse trading and wrangling that goes on, you know, in both houses of the legislature, you get you don't get much happening on the legislative level. And what you do is vague. And there have been several Supreme Court decisions, um, you know, including the one about the um loan forgiveness that basically says 
if this if the Senate or if the legislature doesn't speak specifically enough, then the executive can't actually do anything to kind of flesh it out, which is how they've managed to make the system work over the past however many decades, because it's so hard to get anything through the legislature that the only way you get things done is you put through something big and the executive fleshes it out. The Supreme Court's basically saying, "Mm -mm, we don't like that either. And so it's really, you know, sort of, it's eviscerating a lot of like the ways in which we do our work. We're going to continue this conversation around the action of the Supreme Court of the United States this week. So stay with us. If you'd like to jump in, ask a question, or make a comment, you're welcome. 760-677-0111. On the GBC Happy Hour with Richie Roy, Johnny Mack, and Chick Maxson. We're live once a week, but the happy hour is always available on demand as a podcast wherever you prefer to get them. The hosts will tell you where, if you ask nicely. Hello, (laughs) and welcome back to um, the happy hour. We were uh, getting hot and heavy talking about the Supreme Court um, and just want to check in on... uh, uh, my illustrious co-hosts, uh, Johnny Mack and Chick Maxson. How's it going? I'm doing well. Chick, you've been sitting there like a church house mouse throughout the show. How are you today? I'm I'm doing good. I'm doing okay. Good. Pull that mic closer. Um, and uh, <laughs> there we go. Uh, we can actually see each other this week, which is, believe me, that's a blessing. Uh, so we all know that nobody's doing anything naughty. While we do the show. Hey, speaking of naughty, we have a call on the line. And let's say hello to Leote, who's calling from San Diego. Hello. Hey, hey, hey. How are you guys doing today? Good. How are you? Yes, glad to hear. I've, I've been enjoying the show. Been listening ever since uh, the segment on Jordy. This was at the very beginning where he said that I was angry with him. Um. I just wanted to clear the air on that I'm not. He just he told me to do a surprise for his for his birthday, right? For his birthday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I just want you to surprise me. I want you to surprise me. But as you guys know how Jordy is. He keeps texting me. Okay, so who's gonna come? I'm like, Jordy, do you want this to be a surprise? Or do you want it to be this? What do you want? And he's and he keeps going back. He wants a semi surprise <laughs> party. Exactly, exactly. He's like, okay. He's like, <laughs> earlier today, he texted me. He's like, oh, can you let so-and-so who know who's going to be there because he wants to plan something special, too. I'm like, Jordy, if you want to know who's coming, I'll give you the list. But if you want a surprise, let's let it be a surprise. Where's the party? But, uh, we're going to have it in, in Fort Lauderdale. Oh, okay. um, we're going to be at the, the Eagle for the party, and then we have... Uh, a nice little pool party the next day. It's going to be a fun time. Um, oh, that's nice. Someone who's, someone, as you guys know, is very special to all of us, right? Yeah. Um, Where are you? Oh, I'm at the grocery store. Can you guys oh. oh, yeah, we can hear it all. <laughs> oh, I am so sorry. Oh, that's okay. Um, I will, I'll pull it right here and go, sorry what it is. But I wanted to touch on, on some of the subjects that you guys were just talking about in terms of, like, oops, 
the Supreme Court decisions that have been happening here. We've been talking a lot about those on Twitter and going back and forth on those. Um, I, I am curious, like for for uh, Richie there, um, had a question for you in regards to this, because what recourse do we have? Like the Supreme Court is the highest court of the country. Like where's, where's the road ahead in terms of getting back uh, some of that, that groundwork uh, that we've put laid down for the last, you know, two, three decades. So where, where do we go for it's a it's a really good point. Um, you know, and the thing is with some things like the student loan decision, there are some avenues still available um, for the, you know, to do things, you know, through the executive branch. But with stuff like the LGBTQ decision, with the abortion decision, um, you know, a lot of this is because of how we've kind of done our balance of power is really about getting the court changed, whether it's expanding the court, you know, drastically, um, you know, because these are young justices that have been put on there. They're going to be there for a long time. And unless we change lifetime appointments, unless we change shape. And Oops. We lost Richie there. Hang on. Um, we'll get him back here in just a second. But uh, meanwhile, the I think one of the things that we're going to... Richie, we lost you there for about uh, 10, 12 seconds. Oh. Go ahead. Finish your thought. Sorry. But yeah, so um, really it's about getting the court to to change and we've got to we've got to figure out this situation maybe setting up term limits or you know like you said expanding the court what do you what do you think is the realistic yeah. the most realistic path that we would have forward when it comes to that 13 justices i say <laughs> you know be uh, a perfect number <laughs> and we lost richie again oh well uh the the Internet gods uh, handling the bandwidth have not been very kind to us uh, throughout the program today, uh, which is unfortunate. Are you back with us, Richie? Yeah, unfortunately, we're having like a, a typhoon here, so my connection is a little bit degraded. Oh. <laughs> oh, lucky you. At least it's like not 123 degrees. <laughs> That's what it feels like here in San Diego today, even though I know it's probably only like 79. It's just been killer. But for 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 overall, though, Richie, you would say that there is hope for us in the future in terms of moving forward, uh, a, a light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak? You know, we just have to keep working. That's all I can say. I'm I'm not the most rosy. Uh, I don't have the rosiest out, you know, outlook. But we just have to keep fighting, really, on all fronts, always. Leote, thank you so much for your call. Have a great weekend. And don't you melt. Well, uh, I will try not to. And you you as well. Take care of yourself, guys. Thank uh, you. Good to talk to you. Okay, you too. Uh, our phone number is 67... Uh, I'm sorry, it's 760-677-0111. Uh, and people are invited to call in throughout our shows. Today we weren't able to take some calls earlier because we had guests on the line. Uh, and in our first segment with Jordy, who joined us from Peru, it was a pre-recorded segment because we had to make time for him to do his pride thing. But uh, it generally, it's been good. Um, I think a lot of people are concerned about 
you know, what is the future? And and I'll ask you, Richie, do you think it's possible for us to stack the court at this point? It's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard to do it. I think, I think it's kind of necessary. Like, I, I could see a world in which the Supreme Court looks more like an appellate court, and there's, a you know, let's say 24 or 25 people, and each big case that comes up gets assigned to a panel. So you don't have the same nine people who basically just get to decide everything for everyone. Yeah. Um, it's randomized. You know, I, randomized because that way you get a plurality of you know of, of voices uh, from different presidents you know from appointing from different times and you know maybe maybe that's a way forward it be, because right now just having this very fixed and very kind of you know there are a lot of incentives to ins- uh-oh it's that dreaded storm again Sending Richie into the into the gully washer. Um, so I'll take this opportunity, actually, since I just got a text message. People don't believe me that uh, Chick is actually here. Speak up, Chick. I can see you. Hello. Hello. Hi, everybody. Chick's going to be working on some special projects for us, and especially for those of you who've had to deal with the... Uh, the issues of the heat and energy issues down in the southwest and southeast this year. Um, he's working on a special project around that, and we'll have that coming up on a on an upcoming program. We're also going to be uh, talking about electric vehicles and uh, stuff related to that, and he's got that story coming up on a future edition as well, so we're looking forward to hearing that here on the happy hour. Richie, I see your head moving, so that means you're back. I'm back, and I apologize to everyone. Um, one of the one of the downfalls of living in a remote area is I am at the whims of satellite internet. So when it when it rains, it pours, and when it pours, it shuts down my internet. So yeah, it's a different um, kind of apologies pour. to like everyone. But... Poor, poor Richie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, and I, I do, you know, as we're kind of coming to the coming to the close, I do want to thank everyone for listening to the show um, and thank all of our guests. Um, it's really fun to have other voices on the show. And so yeah. um, whether it's Collins or people who are coming into the studio, um, you know, uh, we look forward to doing more of this in the future. And um, and yeah, uh, keep Keep your ears peeled for more of the happy hour going and, forward. And next week, next week, we're we're not going to be here live like we are today, but there is going to be a brand new show uh, which will be available, and it will be available at the time we normally go on the air live with our live broadcast. And so that will be at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time and 11 o'clock a.m. Pacific Time. Uh, 1 o'clock Eastern, of course, Central Time, uh, and that's uh, coming up next weekend. We've got another great two hours planned for you. Hope you'll be here with us. I'm going to be heading up to the Pacific Northwest, and I'm going to attend one of the Pride events up there with our friend Daddy James for Equality, and uh, he's going to be uh, chiming in on some stuff related to LGBTQ military and veterans issues in future weeks. Uh, we're going to have... Uh, U.S. hero, 
and lesbian member of the service, Dr. Colonel Greta Kamemeyer. Um, I like to call her Dr. Colonel. Uh, she is uh, the highest ranking person who challenged the military's ban on service by LGBTQ people. So we'll look forward to sharing that with you and more in the upcoming weeks. Thanks for checking us out. Be sure to, if you haven't, like GayBC on social media, either on Twitter and on Facebook. We'd love to have you join our friends group there. So stay with us for Richie and Chick. I'm Johnny, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Same bat channel, same bat time. <laughs>